Book the Fourth, Part Five of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Fourth, Part Five. Five hours after the dispatch of that telegram, Captain Destancy was rattling along the coast railway of the Riviera from Genoa to Nice. He was returning to England by way of Marseille, but before turning northwards, he had engaged to perform on Miss Powers's account a peculiar and somewhat disagreeable duty. This was to place in Somerset's hands a hundred and twenty-five Napoleons which had been demanded from her by a message in Somerset's name. The money was in his pocket, all in gold, in a canvas bag, tied up by Paula's own hands, which he had observed to tremble as she tied it. As he leaned in the corner of the carriage, he was thinking over the events of the morning which had culminated in that liberal response. At ten o'clock, before he had gone out from the hotel where he had taken up his quarters, which was not the same as the one patronised by Paula and her friends, he had been summoned to her presence in a manner so unexpected as to imply that something serious was in question. On entering her room, he had been struck by the absence of that saucy independence usually apparent in her bearing towards him notwithstanding the persistency with which he had hovered near her for the previous month, and gradually, by the position of his sister and the favour of Paula's uncle in intercepting one of Somerset's letters and several of his telegrams, established himself as an intimate member of the travelling party. His entry, however, this time, as always, had had the effect of a tonic, and it was quite with her customary self-possession that she had told him of the object of her message. "'You think of returning to Nice this afternoon?' she inquired. Estancy informed her that such was his intention, and asked if he could do anything for her there. Then, he remembered, she had hesitated. "'I have received a telegram,' she said at length, and so she allowed to escape her bit by bit the information that her architect, whose name she seemed reluctant to utter, had travelled from England to Nice that week, partly to consult her, partly for a holiday trip, that he had gone on to Monte Carlo, had there lost his money and got into difficulties, and had appealed to her to help him out of them by the immediate advancement of some ready cash. It was a sad case, an unexpected case, she murmured, with her eyes fixed on the window. Indeed, she could not comprehend it. To Destancia there appeared nothing so very extraordinary in Somerset's apparent fiasco, except in so far as that he should have applied to Paula for relief from his distresses instead of elsewhere. It was a self-humiliation which a lover would have avoided at all costs, he thought. Yet, after a momentary reflection on his theory of Somerset's character, it seemed sufficiently natural that he should lean persistently on Paula, if only with a view of keeping himself linked to her memory, without thinking too profoundly of his own dignity. That the esteem in which he had held Somerset up to that hour suffered a tremendous blow by his apparent scrape was clearly visible in her, reticent as she was. And Destancy, while pitying Somerset, thanked him in his mind for having gratuitously given a rival an advantage which that rival's attentions had never been able to gain of themselves. After a little further conversation, she had said, Since you are to be my messenger, I must tell you that I have decided to send the hundred pounds asked for, and you will please to deliver them into no hands but his own. 
curious little blush crept over her sobered face. Perhaps it was a blush of shame at the conduct of the young man, for whom she had of late been suspiciously interested. And she added, He will be on the Pont Neuf at four this afternoon, and again at eleven tomorrow. Can you meet him there? Certainly, Costanzi replied. She then asked him, rather anxiously, how he could account for Mr. Somerset, knowing that he, Captain Costanzi, was about to return to Nice. Costanzi informed her that he had left word at the hotel of his intention to return, which was quite true. Moreover, there did not lurk in his mind at the moment of speaking the faintest suspicion that Somerset had seen a dare. She then tied the bag and handed it to him, leaving him with a serene and impenetrable bearing, which he hoped for his own sake meant an acquired indifference to Somerset and his fortunes. Her sending the architect a sum of money which she could easily spare might be set down to a natural generosity towards a man with whom she was artistically cooperating for the improvement of her home. She came back to him again for a moment. Could you possibly get there before four this afternoon? she asked, and he informed her that he could just do so by leaving almost at once, which he was very willing to do, though by so forestalling his time he would lose the projected morning with her and the rest at the Palazzo Doria. I may tell you that I shall not go to the Palazzo Doria either, if it is any consolation to you to know it, was her reply. I shall sit indoors and think of you on your journey. The answer admitted of two translations, and gestures thereon filled the gallant soldier's mind during the greater part of the journey. He arrived at the hotel they had all stayed at in succession about six hours after Somerset had left it for a little excursion to San Remo and its neighbourhood as a means of passing a few days till Paula should write again to inquire why he had not come on. Constancy saw no one he knew, and in obedience to Paula's commands, he promptly set off on foot for the poor Neuf. Though opposed to the architect as a lover, Constancy felt for him as a poor devil in need of money, having had experiences of that sort himself, and he was really anxious that the needful supply entrusted to him should reach Somerset's hands. He was on the bridge five minutes before the hour, and when the clock struck, a hand was laid on his shoulder. Turning, he beheld Dare. Knowing that the youth was loitering somewhere along the coast, for they had frequently met together on Stancy's previous visit, the latter merely said, Don't bother me for the present, Willie. I have an engagement. You can see me at the hotel this evening. When you've given me the hundred pounds, I will fly like a rocket, Captain, said the young gentleman. I keep the appointment instead of the other man. Stancy looked hard at him. How do you know about this? He asked breathlessly. I've seen him. Stancy took the young man by the two shoulders and gazed into his eyes. The scrutiny seemed not altogether to remove the suspicion which had suddenly started up in his mind. My soul, he said, dropping his arms. Can this be true? What? You know. Dare shrugged his shoulders. Are you going to hand over the money or no? He said. I'm going to make inquiries, said Distancy, walking away with a vehement tread. Captain, you're without natural affection, said Dare, walking by his side, in a tone which showed his fear that he had overestimated that emotion. See what I have done for you. You have been my constant care and anxiety for I can't tell you how long. 
I've stayed awake at night thinking how I might best give you a good start in the world by arranging this judicious marriage, when you've been sleeping as sound as a top with no cares upon your mind at all. And now I've got into a scrape, as the most thoughtful of us may sometimes. You go to make inquiries. I have promised the lady to whom this money belongs, whose generosity has been shamefully abused in some way, that I will deliver it into no hands but those of one man, and he has not yet appeared. I therefore go to find him. Dare laid his hand upon Dostancy's arm. Captain, we are both warm and punctilious on points of honour. This will come to a split between us if we don't mind. So, not to bring matters to a crisis, lend me ten pounds here to enable me to get home, and I'll disappear. In a state bordering on distraction, eager to get the young man out of his sight before worse revelations should rise up between them, Tatsy, without pausing in his walk, gave him the sum demanded. He soon reached the post office, where he inquired about Mr. Somerset and left any directions for forwarding letters. It was just what Somerset had done. Tastancy was told that Mr. Somerset had commanded that any letters should be sent on to him at the Hotel Victoria, San Remo. It was now evident that the scheme of getting money from Paula was either of Dare's invention, or that Somerset, ashamed of his first impulse, had abandoned it as speedily as it had been formed. Tastancy turned and went out. Dare, in keeping with his promise, had vanished. Captain Destancy resolved to do nothing in the case till further events should enlighten him, beyond sending a line to Miss Parr to inform her that Somerset had not appeared and that he therefore retained the money for further instructions. End of Book the Fourth, Part Five